Welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Podcast, Your Health Matters. I'm Mark Aiken, the podcast host. I'm the Stakeholder Engagement Manager with Nurse and Midwife Support, and I'm a registered nurse. Nurse and Midwife Support is the national support service for nurses, midwives, and students. The service is anonymous, confidential, and free, and you can call us anytime you need support. 1-800-667-877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au Welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Podcast. Today's podcast is all about exercise and its benefit to the health and well-being of nurses and midwives. My guest today is Liz Hewitt an accredited exercise physiologist, strength and conditioning coach, and Pilates teacher with over 20 years experience. Liz is a frequent presenter and educator, having presented at conferences for the Australian Pilates Method Association, Exercise and Sports Science Australia, International Association of Dance, Medicine and Science, and workshops for the wider Pilates community, as well as being a former president and committee member for the Australian Pilates Method Association. Liz, what an impressive career. Hello and welcome. Thanks, Mark. It's an honour and privilege to be here. Thank you. Great to have you here, Liz. We're very excited about hearing about exercise physiologists and your work as an exercise physiologist. And would you please tell our listeners a bit more about your background and how you actually became an exercise physiologist? Yeah, sure. So I think I'll introduce by saying perhaps what an exercise physiologist actually is. It is a relatively new profession on the allied health landscape. It's a university pathway in exercise science. Back in in the old days of the 90s when I went through, it was a human movement degree. So some of the nurses and midwives of that era of university training may recognise that bachelor degree or physical education. So I did a human movement degree back in, in the late 90s and then it was a graduate diploma in exercise rehabilitation. And But I I fell into that pathway because of my passion growing up. My exercise of choice was dancing, classical ballet. And I did it very seriously. I I moved to Melbourne from Brisbane, did a year of full-time training at at the Victorian College of the Arts. But I was spent more time in the physio room than actually in the ballet studio. And also had a very academic background going through school. So I moved sideways. I realised that the performing arts as a professional on stage wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to help performers instead, particularly help them in rehabilitation, strengthening movement. But I didn't know what there was at the time other than physiotherapy and medicine. And I love physiotherapists, but I'd spent way too much time in their businesses as a young teenager. So I thought the human movement pathway was interesting and it would open doors and hopefully give me some options in professions. And it really has. It's a fantastic profession. After my university, I then trained as a Pilates teacher in the early days of when teacher training was new in Australia, in the early noughties. I started Pilates because I had a chronic back injury that I sustained dancing. And within a couple of years of doing Pilates regularly, it 
glued my hypermobile floppy body together and gave me the, the strength and the stability. And 20 years on, I still, I still do my Pilates regularly to keep me, me sort of together. And it allows me to do other types of exercise that I enjoy. So Liz, I think that's really interesting. And many nurses and midwives will connect to that, particularly with sustaining an injury and then finding your way again in relation to exercise. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that lately, returning to exercise after injury. But we actually all know that exercise is really important to us in our lives. And nurses and midwives generally know that. But it might be good to explore, Liz, why exercise is important to health and well-being. What are the benefits? Oh, it's a really good question. I think if exercise was a supplement or a pill, it would be a worldwide bestseller and it would be gladly taken every day by everybody. Moving and being physically active is seriously the, the best medicine we can take for both prevention of health conditions as well as treatment and managing the conditions that potentially don't have a an overall cure you know and, and the human body was built to move if, you know if you think about our, our evolution of hunter-gatherers of always being moving we aren't designed to sit still or, or stand or, all day it really doesn't make us feel very good so our bodies simply feel better on so many levels when we move regularly and i'd like to clarify that that doesn't have to mean full-on sport or an intense commitment to something really structured like a sport or a serious hobby because that's not everybody's thing when it comes to physical activity or exercise you know for example a single walk in fresh air or shooting basketball hoops with your mates or even a day in the garden makes people feel good you know, there's being outside in the fresh air. The research is really strong that just being outdoors does really fantastic things for our mental health. Um, so there's the mood benefits, the, the emotional uplift after just one short bout of movement. You know, if, if somebody's a little grumpy or they're irritable from lack of sleep or they're a bit stressed or premenstrual, you know, let, let's, you know, talk about the elephant in the room. They're like, actually, the, the, the research is quite strong now that if women at various stages of their cycle, you can really use movement to help how you feel. And on a pure physical level, movement lubricates our joints. It gets a synovial fluid released within our joints. So actually, if somebody has an osteoarthritic knee, for example, the best thing they can do is learn some movements, learn some exercises to actually get it moving, not exercising, it just actually gets it stiffer and more sore. But moving it regularly is, is actually equally as potent and, and as effective as some of the, the pain relief medication that people equally need to take. So movement and exercise lubricates our joints keeps our muscles elastic and our fascia and all the other soft tissue. And exercise can also help you when you're tired. You know, if you're a little bit fatigued from lack of sleep or it's the end of the day or you just want to give yourself an energy to get through a day, then 
It may sound like a contradiction, but actually if you do some movement or do some exercise, it will actually make you be more invigorated to get you through the day or to wake you up. Um, and then the other, the flip side to that is it can help wind you down. Now, lots of people use some movement or exercise of their choice to help them transition mentally from a big day at work to winding down in the evening and helping them get ready for sleep and, and rest to, you know, get to, to then get back up and do it all again the next day. Thanks, Liz. That's such great advice and information. I know our listeners will really connect with that. Liz, you've recently written a blog for our spring newsletter edition, which is um, on exercise, and this podcast is part of that newsletter. And what I was really interested in in that blog, Liz, that our listeners will be able to read after or maybe they have before this podcast is that there is actually a difference between exercise and physical activity. And to be quite honest, I hadn't really connected with that until you'd written about it. So could you talk a little bit about the difference and why it's important? Yeah, sure. That's a great topic. And I've already been conscious of how I've used the, the two words seemingly interchangeably as if they're the same thing, but they are slightly different. So physical activity as defined by the World Health Organization is any movement that requires muscle contraction. So that can be essentially anything from, you know, doing the housework, doing the dishes, gardening, playing with your grandkids, kicking the footy, doing your vacuuming, cleaning the bathroom, anything that requires movement. Whereas exercise is a subcategory of that where there's structure and form and um, pres prescribed movement working on something in particular like strength or fitness. Um, that, yeah, so that, that's sort of the, the two major the differences there. Yeah, thanks, Liz. That's really interesting. A lot of nurses and midwives I meet say to me, oh, Mark, I don't really need to do any more exercise because I run around on my ward or my, you know, my clinical environment all day, 8, 10, 12 hours on my feet, physically active, and so I really think that's enough. But I know that's really considered incidental activity or movement or exercise. Liz, what advice would you have for those people who think, oh, I wonder if that's enough? The first thing that comes to mind is I'd actually love to know, and I haven't looked this up, but whether there's been any actual data collected on, say, the number of steps or the heart rate that, you know, to prove, to actually research whether that's actually a valid observation or not. Now, is it... Because fatigue at the end of a work shift doesn't necessarily equate to physical exertion. So I'd be curious, you know, how many, how active is, it, is a nurse's shift? Has the research actually be done on that? You know, that'd be a fabulous honours project or a PhD for an exercise science university student or even a nursing exercise science collaboration. I'm sure, you know, that there's a research project in there. But... I would say, because again, I've heard that as well. And I had a great, great discussions with my mum, who's a retired nurse, about this. And while she was working, I well remember that she'd come home from an, an early shift, particularly knackered from being on her, as you say, being on her feet for eight to 10 hours. Lates yeah. and night shifts were often a little bit different. 
To be honest, it's a little bit hard to say because I'm sure shifts do vary. The exercise professional in me would say, and I reread the World Health Organization's website in preparation for this talk. So to meet the criteria of those physical activity guidelines of minimum, and this is minimum, 150 minutes a week of physical activity, you actually need to be kind of non-stop walking at a pace that requires your heart rate to be a little bit lifted. So a nurse or a midwife that's strolling around, you know, at an easy strolling pace for just a couple of minutes to get from the nurse's station to a room and then back again, and they do that over and over, sure, that's better than sitting down for a shift, but it's not actual, it's because it's so low intensity and they're not actually generating any heart rate elevation, it wouldn't be meeting those guidelines. So the key does does seem that it's not just about being on your feet and slowly walking. There does need to be some heart rate elevation in there and a little bit of general cardiorespiratory effort. So, for example, if I'm walking and I can, and if I can talk as easily as you and I are right now, that's not kind of cardiorespiratory-based physical activity. I'm just strolling along. My body's... Because we, we as humans are very, very good at walking. We've spent just a few million years evolving. So we actually don't expend many much energy or many calories by walking at a slow, comfortable pace. So if, if a nurse or a midwife actually walks very quickly, enough to actually feel a bit puffed, and they're potentially, you know, pushing a trolley or moving a patient and it lasts several minutes, then maybe that would be one bout of a few minutes they could add to their contributing physical activity but i think as a general rule that um that actually makes me laugh liz because there is a thing in nursing and midwifery culture about nurses and midwives walk that you know we have a certain walk we have a certain pace and that means we're faster than most people and i've got to say when i walk with friends they say could you slow down you're walking like a nurse <laughs> So I really love that advice, but I think the take-home here is that even if you're walking at nurse's pace around the ward, that's probably not enough exercise and we advise and encourage you to do a bit more and something else that raises your heart rate and your respiratory rate. So thanks, yeah. Liz. That's great. Yeah, and I, I'd also like to add in there, so cardiorespiratory health is, is simply one facet of physical and emotional health. We need to look after our bones. We need to look after our muscles. So that means we should all be doing some sort of strengthening and balance training as we go through life, which could be all types of different movement. Really, it's about finding what rocks your boat and what, what makes you want to get out of bed or off the couch to do that type of movement. But I think, yes, definitely, you know, nurses and midwives need to be strong. They need to have good balance. They need to have good control of their bodies. And, again, that's not going to be developed through a typical shift. 
Thanks, Liz. We know that exercise changes for many through the various life stages. And indeed, when I reflect on my life and my exercise, and I'm in my mid-50s, I've really tried many different types of exercise. And if you read my introduction to the newsletter, you'll read a bit about that, where I talk about growing up in a family that was um, pretty much addicted to exercise. And I'd say had an element of exercise ADD about it, where we try one exercise form as a family and then we jump into another, you know, some from family swimming competitions to table tennis matches to tennis to kick to kick footy. And then, you know, and, and I went through an aerobics phase in the 80s and, <laughs> and many people will, you know, of my vintage will have experienced that. Kick Reebok, it was a form of dancing. Zumba, another form of exercise to dance. You can tell a bit that I love dancing. And then, of course, you know, because I aggravated a chronic back injury, I then discovered yoga and Pilates, which, like you, Liz, really helped me to manage that injury. So given that we change through the various life stages that we experience, what advice do you have, Liz, for adapting exercise to fit into whatever stage of life you're at? Yeah, it's a great topic. I love hearing that the diversity and the variety and giving things a go. I think sometimes what holds us back is that we are our own worst critics and fear of, you know, if you've got a hint of perfectionism about you as a person, then fear of failure and fear of not being good at something actually stops us from having a go. The other thing that I find and what I've noticed over the years is that people hold back from exercise or any uh, putting anything new in their life because they're waiting for something to happen. Usually it's they're waiting for time. Or, and I'm going to generalise here, women often wait to lose weight before they do something particularly if it's related to exercise or physical activity. So they're kind of the, the, the things I've noticed working with people o- over the years. But I think for in terms of exercise through the life stages, as early as possible, it's about forming the habit of how do I fit exercise in when I'm a busy human? That problem never goes away. And if anything, it gets more complicated and we get busier through our 30s and 40s. I think they're kind of the hardest decades. And then sometimes into the 50s as well. Now, I'm not there yet, but I, I, I've worked with lots of people who, who are. But, you know, the, the juggling of priorities, time, finances, accessibility to exercise changes. But I think definitely as, as young as possible, it's getting it into our lifestyle. One of the problems I see, and it's one of my pet ha- hates is a strong word, but I'll get a, I can get on my pedestal about it, is when kids go through school, particularly year 11 and 12, is they're almost encouraged to cut back on sport and exercise to give them time to study. But I'm sorry, but how is that going to help them after high school with finding the time when life will just continue to get busier? So I think if... If anybody's listening to, the, to this podcast and they're a parent or a grandparent, the, one of the biggest messages I can say is 
Encourage the young people in your life, whether they're high school students or university. And for listeners at that young graduate university or vocational education stage of life is do not give up sport or exercise because you don't have time right now at this stage of life. Yes, it can be hard, but it it doesn't have to be this big commitment. There are little small things of ways of keeping it in to be beneficial. So I think that's one of the biggest things I can say for when you're younger is work at getting it into your life. Experiment with what you like and what you dislike. Are you a loner when it comes to exercise? Or do you need to leave the house to mingle with people and find a tribe of like-minded people, whether it's high-intensity exercise or a, a dance class or a walking group. The other thing is, do you like to learn something through exercise? Do, is it about learning a new skill? Or is it just you don't like to think and you just want to go and thrash yourself and dance around to music and zone out? because there are the different elements to movement as well, is some people actually like to engage their brain when they exercise. Others don't. They just want to, if they're a very cerebral person in their work, sometimes they don't actually like to have to think too much when they're exercising. So that, I think that's an element worth exploring through life as well. Yes, I mean, they're, they're kind of the main things I, I can think of. Thanks, Liz. I think that's really great advice. And I think key to that is making exercise a routine, creating a habit and finding what type of exercise gives you joy or floats your boat or connects you to other people if that's your thing or indeed soothes you because you need time for yourself. You know, and I think that's really important here. Really understand your personality type and what it is that works for you. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd like to add there is I think a lot of people have a very narrow view of what exercise is, partly because of the exposure through social media, through the internet, that exercise is about what you look like. We exercise to influence our shape or we exercise to try to change the way we look or what we are on the scales. But that actually is just can be a very small and probably the most unimportant part of why we should be moving as humans. As you say, it's about social connection. It's our mental health. It's about getting lost in something. Um, You know, we've all experienced hobbies or things that we love where time goes by in one hour, two hours, three hours, and we look at, wow, where did the time go? So trying to explore ways of moving where you, it's not a chore, you actually look forward to doing it, and that usually doesn't involve trying to lose weight. (laughs) Because if you exercise purely to try to influence what the scales or what your dress size is, sadly we know that that actually doesn't keep us going with exercise. It's one of the reasons why we stop or struggle with it. Yeah, good point, Liz. Thank you. How could an exercise physiologist support nurses and midwives to enjoy their best life? And indeed, if you've lost your exercise mojo or never have it, how could you work with us to help us get it back? Yeah, I think some of what we've already discussed, I spend a lot of time in my consultations chatting through behavioural change strategies. Yeah. 
So really this conversation we've already had just now is a common one I'll actually have in my sessions with my clients. So sometimes in my consultations, I'm not actually exercising with my clients or they're not. We're sitting down chatting about, well, okay, I gave you your exercise program a month ago. What's happened? Why haven't you been doing it? What have you struggled with? What are the barriers? Okay, so we gave you a home program, but it's not working because your husband's home or you don't have space or, you know, we go through all the barriers and and logistical issues and some of the emotional barriers that come up. So I think an exercise physiologist, because we are very extensively trained in behavioural change, motivational interviewing a, a lot of the time. So trying to break down the barriers and for the reasons why people perhaps are not exercising and we try to make it a non-threatening a non-intimidating experience and something that we help them to explore and discover so and an exercise physiologist we are trained in using exercise like it's medicine so for people who've got chronic medical conditions osteoarthritis diabetes heart failure um, osteoporosis cancer that's our kind of peak area of helping people to use exercise as part of their medical treatment for lots of those chronic medical conditions another profession that i should mention is an exercise scientist so they are bachelor trained undergraduate exercise professionals who who we exercise physiologists all have that level of exercise science bachelor degree so if you're fairly non-encumbered with chronic health conditions, you're fairly healthy, you, you just want to learn how to get exercise in your life, and an exercise scientist is also very well equipped. And you often see them working in gyms and strength and conditioning environments. But an exercise physiologist has the, the injury and the chronic condition management training. In terms of if somebody loses their mojo and they've fallen off the... Uh, it's fallen out of their routine. I think start small. Don't wait. Like we said before, people often, they wait. Like something I've heard a lot over the years is, I'll wait till my five-year-old starts school, then I'll have more time. Or I'll wait for this to happen. And there's so many different scenarios. As if exercise is this big commitment that they need a lot of headspace and a lot of time for. Now, yes, it can be that big commitment, like if somebody wants to play AFLW or join their local soccer club, then yeah, a commitment is needed. But if you just want to get active and get a bit fit, it doesn't have to be. So you don't need to wait to have time. So getting advice on how to slip it into a busy routine, that's why actually getting some professional advice of how to start, how to get back on the horse, so to speak, can be really helpful. And I think the the other thing is acknowledging that it is hard. If you haven't exercised for years or you used to, but it's been a few years, acknowledge that you will have lost some fitness and some strength. If it's been a couple of months because you've been traveling or moved house or been sick or whatever, be patient. Remember what you used to be able to do and let that go. Don't compare yourself to who you were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Find what what you're capable of now and then build very slowly. 
The other thing I often see and I've experienced myself is if you've had a break for say of just a few weeks or a couple of months and you're a, you like to swim or you, you like to run a little bit or you like to get on the bike, be ready for the first couple of sessions feeling horrible. The first run after two months off or three months off or a month off is always the worst. Your legs feel uncoordinated, you feel unfit, everything feels shabby, you think, oh my God, this is really awful. Push through that, the run or the swim or the bike ride after that or the aerobics class, whatever it may be, will always get better. The other big tip I give people is whatever length of time you had off, if it's just a short space of time, like a couple of weeks or a month, you normally have to double it. And I have no science to back this up. This is pure anecdotal, just pure clinical experience. Kind of you need to double it to get you back to where you were before the time off. And just be kind. Keep trying. If life gets in the way, it will always get in the way. That's what life does. We just have to plot on and put it back in. Thanks, Liz. One of the things I commonly hear from nurses and midwives is that shift work and the unpredictability of work routines is uh, difficult for people to be able to establish the routine. And I know you talk a bit about this in your blog and um, our listeners can read that if they haven't already, but do you have any particular information or advice for people who are particularly early career nurses who are just getting their head around doing shift work and they're struggling to fit exercise in or indeed find an opportunity or a, a moment where they can make it happen? Yeah, yeah. I think it may be a matter of partly exploring what types of physical activity, exercise, sport, dance actually allows flexibility in scheduling. And if your sport or passionate area doesn't allow that, you know, for example, football, Tuesday, Thursday, fixed training with a game on Saturday, if, you, if your shift work doesn't allow that commitment, then maybe find a more recreational version of that same sport. You know, casual indoor mixed netball may be a bit more um, free-flowing. Or if you're a team sport, ball sport person, then find another ball sport. You know, maybe you've got to move sideways. So maybe identify some of the key ingredients of movement that you love and identify a more flexible way of doing it if your original sport that you loved in high school or university doesn't allow you to keep doing it. That's one option. Another option I, I've heard is if uh, I was speaking to a, a nurse the other day who just tries to swing her shifts around her salsa dancing. Yeah. So, yeah. again, I, I think <laughs> in some ways you guys actually have it over the nine to five crowd because you do have this lovely constantly evolving and changing roster if the other option is if the particularly that the younger population of nurses and midwives if you are more of the, the fitness gym type person then maybe the 24-hour gyms or the larger gyms which perhaps have more extensive opening hours and more extensive group fitness timetables may cater to you a bit better. The other thing is if you're into 
aerobics or dancing, group fitness. There's so many different ways of learning dance-based group fitness. You've got bar classes. You've got a million and one different versions of, of Zumba and offshoots these days, <laughs> all with different schools and casual and serious ways of doing them. So I think just experiment, I think that's the, the short answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving those tips, Liz, because it takes me back to my early days as a nurse where I used to roster myself, you know, put a roster request in so that I could regularly go out with my mates to a nightclub and dance all night. <laughs> <laughs> some, some may say a misspent youth, but we had a lot of fun and we had plenty of exercise. Yeah, and great for mental health. You know, I know so many people who just say if they just go out and dance, for a few hours, it's, it just makes them feel the world of good. But actually on a very practical level, going back to my my mum who's now retired, but she, she went back to nursing in her 50s after 20 years of being a mum and she retrained and she worked on the seventh floor in the Royal Brisbane Hospital and she would walk up those seven floors every single day yeah. as her aerobic exercise. Her colleagues thought she was nuts she, she was the only one, but she swore by it and um, did it for the next 20 years of her continuing to work. So I think actually in a workplace, there are ways of becoming more active if you get a little bit creative and um, actually think about it. Yeah, love that creativity and give it some thought. Now, Liz, we're coming to the end of the podcast, but I can't let you go without talking about nurses and midwives with an injury and how they continue to exercise or they manage that injury and go get back to exercise or keep it on track. Yeah, I, I think the phrase that keeps coming to mind is strength training. Yeah. And I say that because actually I, I shared what I was doing with you guys on an exercise physiology Facebook group that, and I asked for tips from my colleagues about what I could mention in the blog. And oh, an exercise physiologist shared a story of her sister who did, a, did dual training of being a paramedic and a nurse. And very early in her career, injured her back bad enough that she, was, she, she gave up paramedical work and turned to full-time nursing. And she started doing strength training and that has really helped her injury i think it was a back injury substantially so i think the best advice i can give for anybody who's carrying any sort of injury i you know back pain knees shoulders necks i imagine they're the common one in in the nursing midwifery professions is getting good solid advice and motivation inspiration, empowerment and knowledge about what sort of strength training. Now, this that could be yoga, it could be Pilates, it could be strengthening in a gym, it could be strengthening exercises at home. So again, get good advice. Exercise physiologists are, I think, we really are the experts in incorporating somebody's injury into their whole body training. We work very closely with physiotherapists, osteopaths, sports medicine doctors. You know, we can speak the lingo of technical jargon. Um, so we're very used to that multidisciplinary approach. But but I think 
if somebody is worried about exercise because oh, I've got a dicky knee or a sore back or a dodgy shoulder, then actually seeing an accredited exercise physiologist along with, you know, bring us information from your physiotherapist, your GP, bring us your MRI reports, you know, give us that knowledge as well. And then we can really set you up with a good whole body strengthening program that gets you ready for whatever your typical workplace occupational demands are. Thanks, Liz. And how would somebody find an exercise physiologist if they were looking for one? Yeah, great question. So our professional association is called Exercise and Sports Science Australia, ESSA. And the website is essa.org.au. And there is a find an exercise physiologist database or directory on that website. GPs, general practitioners around Australia are... We are quite a well-known profession now, which has been fantastic to see us evolve through my 20 years of working when nobody knew, I didn't even know what I was. <laughs> but that's, that's changed a lot. So GPs who support exercise as part of medical care often are a good person to talk to as well. But go, the website would be a great resource. Thanks, Liz. Well, we have come to the end of this fabulous podcast on this very important topic of exercise. We've talked about why exercise is important to health and well-being, exercise through the life stages, exercise as a routine and creating the exercise habit, how an exercise physiologist could support nurses and midwives to enjoy their best life, for getting your exercise routine on track and returning to exercise after a break or as a result of injury. Liz, you've been a wonderful guest. I thank you very, very much. I know our listeners will really enjoy this, this subject we've talked about today. Do you have any final words of wisdom? We have one body. Nobody else is going to look after it except you. And I don't just mean physical body. I mean emotional, psychological as well, and all equally important and moving regularly whether it be physical activity sport exercise will help all three more than you would ever know thanks liz please remember everybody that you can contact nurse and midwife support 1-800-667-877 or via the website www.nmsupport.org for anything you need support for. Check out the newsletter on exercise where you'll get to read Liz's great blog via the website. Take care, keep exercising and look after yourself and each other. Your health matters. Mm -hmm.